Good to have you with us here. If you're on stage in the auditorium or online, it's great to have you with us here today. Give our online 180 Homes a big hand, would you guys? And how about our worship team today? Come on. Well, it's good to have you here, and we're jumping into our series again. Um, we're going to have this here for a while, and I'm loving this, man. It's called Come Alive, where self-help ends and God's power begins. I want you to know that there is nothing so beautiful as a person changing. I think you would agree with this, right? There's nothing so beautiful as a person who's going through some real radical change in their life. One of my favorite things to watch, and I haven't seen it in a while now, was the show Biggest Loser. I can cry over that show like you can't believe. Now, I have the opposite problem. I have to remind myself to eat. And I know you might say, oh, real hard cross to bear. Trust me, I've got my challenges in life. But when I see people on Biggest Loser that I know have struggled with eating situations and those kind of battles their whole life long, and to see them shed 100, 200 pounds, I mean, some of these people are losing pounds. And when they get on the scale and everybody's crying, I'm in my living room just, oh, this guy's the best loser in the world. It's the most outstanding thing in the world. It's awesome to watch those stories, though, isn't it? I saw this last week a story of a young lady who went from meth addict to college graduate. I don't know if you saw those before and after pictures. They were all over the internet. She was unrecognizable from what she was in her deepest, darkest meth days to where she was now as a graduate. The only way that you could tell who this woman was was by this little tiny tattoo on her neck. And I'm doing a double check. I'm going, yeah, tattoo, sure enough, that is her. I mean, it was unrecognizable. The kind of liberty that this girl had walked into was amazing. And just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of baptizing Ryan and Jenny and John Marco and to know their stories and what God's doing. And, and uh, man, I'm telling you, it's just a thrill to watch what God's doing in the lives of even young people right here at 180 Chicago. So what has come alive where self-help ends and God's power begins? Let me boil it down for you, what this all means. Whether we grasp this truth or not when we come in here today, I hope that by the time we're done today, you're going to have this one, and that is that we are all in recovery. I need you to hear me. That's the title of my message today is just recovery. But we are all in recovery. Why do I say that? Because I think a lot of us in the Christian world are way too content to try to manage our own sin and put a facade out here that somehow we kind of fake it until we get through this thing. I think we wave a white flag, as I'm off to say, that we wave a white flag at certain issues in our life and never letting the Lord be the Lord of everything that's going on. Do we dare to do that? What's it look like? Well, I got to tell you something. I love recovery ministries. I love recovery ministries. Have, how many of you in this room have heard of the ministry called Celebrate Recovery? I'm just curious by a show of hands, about half of us in here. Celebrate Recovery is an incredible ministry. It was born out of Saddleback Church. David Sean, Rick Warren's right-hand man at Saddleback, actually texted me a couple of weeks ago. We were really close many years ago. But what was born out of Saddleback Church was such an amazing ministry that it swept the nation. Why? Because it caused people to wrestle with some of those deepest, darkest issues in their life and get victory. 
And I love recovery ministries and I love recovery people because it's just a great pool to swim in. If you're looking for a really rich friendship, you want to look in recovery ministries. If you're looking for someone who's tried and true, willing to walk through it and be honest with someone and they aren't going to shame you to death, you want to be in a recovery ministry. But that's also why I don't like recovery ministries. I'm into recovery and I want to talk about that today, but I really don't want to ever have a recovery ministry at 180 Chicago. And you might be saying, Carl, how awful. No, no, hear me now. This is very important for you to understand. We're all in recovery. And here's my great concern. These won't be on your screen, but there are three dangerous things that happen when we bifurcate, or what I even like to tr call trifurcate, or probably quadfurcate, and that's have one quarter of the church over here, they're in recovery, and three quarters of us over here going, wow, go recovery, folks. That's really dangerous for a few reasons. Let me give them to you just from my heart here. We signal that some sins are worse than others and leave many other debilitating sins unaddressed. In the darkness or in the shadows, sins like gossip, envy, and pride only grow. So that's great. You're not hooked on methamphetamines. But man, you sure do embellish the truth. Oh, that's great, man. You got, you got alcohol under control. It doesn't control you. Wine kicks your booty every now and then, but really, you've got it pretty much under control. But man, you can talk behind people's backs. And the list goes on. I don't even need to mention anymore right here. The Holy Spirit's told me I've done enough right now. I'm at work here. Another dangerous reason that having a bifurcation or a quadfurcation of recovery ministry is that we lose the joy of embracing our common depravity, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's lost is that everyone is overcoming and everyone can be celebrating. We don't just have a few people that celebrate. We're all in celebration. And maybe the third thing that breaks my heart is that we send a message that if you commit certain sins, you need deep honesty and close community, but if not, you can make it on your own. Nothing could be further from the truth. Let me pull back the curtains so that we can take a look at life as it really is for you and me. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all broken people. No one has arrived. We were all born with our backs to God. I need you to hear me. This is very important theological nuance here that I want you to get. We were all born with our backs to God. Someone once asked me, why does God send people to hell? God sends no one to hell. By the act of free will upon birth, we were born in sin. We were on the highway to hell. Not an old rock song, a real theological truth. And only by the grace of God does he turn us around. God sends no one to hell. He pulls people off the path to hell and puts them on a path to righteousness and eternity with him. Wow. So we're all born with our backs to God, and as we saw last week, we create systems that allow us to manage our brokenness without surrendering to God's ultimate fix in our life. So can I say it again? We're all in recovery. 
Every one of us are in recovery in this room. This morning, right now, we're all in recovery. And one of the greatest dangers that we can face in this room today, online at your 180 home, even our friends in South Africa in the evening there, the greatest danger we can face right now is somehow not looking at the mirror we walk away, as James, the half-brother of Jesus says, we walk away forgetting what we've seen and we've deceived ourselves. I know what it is to see and feature the problems with others. I was raised in a culture of angry, what I call angry Christianity or angry evangelicalism. The brand of Christianity that I was raised in, although I wasn't raised in a home like this, we found ourselves at people's homes for dinner and Christmas and Thanksgiving, and I found, I learned that there was a style of righteousness that didn't comport at all with the scriptures as I got older. And the style of righteousness that I learned was, we're righteous, they're not, so we'll talk about them. And it ripped so many people off. So many people died with so much pain in those homes. One of those parents in one of those homes didn't have the privilege because of a judgmental spirit to hold their own son who studied at Juilliard with the piano, was so good he became the rehearsal pianist here for our own great Chicago symphony and died of AIDS in a hospital right down the road from here. But my parents got to hold this young man who was a childhood friend of mine and hug him in his last breaths and hear him say, Joe and Yvonne, I got right with God. You see, when we're people that don't believe we're in recovery, we miss out on the ability to grow ourselves to love those who now feel a need to go sin in secret and then we really miss out on the ability to hold those who just need to be held. We can no longer afford to be a self-righteous people. There's no room for that. So I want us to rethink Christianity this morning. I want to give you three transformational changes. And I'm going to be in three central passages of Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I want you to turn there with me. I'm going to get ample time, but these are worth, if you aren't opposed to writing in your Bible, please write in your Bible. These are, these are worth highlighting or bracketing because these are core theological truths about real transformation for those who recognize their brokenness that will serve you well. I like to say this, if you ever mark up your Bible so much that you need a new one, you count me in, I'll buy you a new Bible. That will be a great problem to have. So let me give you the first of three changes that are really transformational. The first is found in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. This is awesome. Look at what Jesus says. Everyone then who, hear, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, I want to teach you something really cool that you can carry with you for years to come. I want to teach you some principles of inductive Bible study. And you might be going, inductive Bible study? What in the world is that? It's just kind of some methods for studying the Word on your own. And in this passage of Scripture, we get a golden opportunity, and it's just the first and foremost understanding of how to read your Bibles. And Jim Coakley, who's just getting back from Jordan, one of our elders here, he's big on this one. I think we got some Coakley students or some inductive Bible study students because we got mass agreement going right down here, and they know what I'm about to say. It is observation. Right? Ladies, it's observation. You got to have observation. If you're going to have inductive Bible study, you got to have observation. So let me give you three of the things that I observed from this little passage that we read in Matthew 7 that are really important. This is going to really encourage you. I promise you that. Everyone in this little passage of Scripture is building a house, according to Jesus. Everyone's building a house. Now let's not get into where they're building it, just everyone's building a house. Here's another one everyone's facing storms. Fair enough. A storm's coming. Everybody's going to get hit by it. Everybody's hitting a storm. What's the third thing that we find in here? And I'm sure you can find some more, especially these Moody students. I get it, but just bear with me. I'm only going to hit three this morning. The third thing is this one. Everyone will fit into one of two categories and one of two categories alone. Either you're going to be wise or you're going to be a fool. That's it. So you got to ask the question, hold it. If, if everybody's building houses and everybody's facing the same storms and you're either going to be wise or you're going to be a fool, what else is going on here? There's one last thing. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you right now, this is the linchpin issue between cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity. What I'm about to give you is the key issue, and we've missed it. You know what we got in America? We got you version. We've got Bible studies. We've got more Bible studies. We've got studies that study Bible studies in America. True story. We've got theologians who write books. Other theologians that write more books to build on the nuances in the former. It goes on and on and on. I've got study Bibles out the wazoo at my home. I got resources like you can't believe. And now with the internet, bada bing. Even with the little rudimentary tool called Bible Hub, you might want to use it. Just go to Bible Hub. You can find the original language. You can find how many times an original Greek word is used in the scriptures. It's amazing. There's one difference and one difference alone that impacted the outcome of a smashed house or life. See what I'm saying here? Kids don't think he was just talking real estate here, right? Or a strong house or life. And it is this. Doing what you hear. Here's the point. Shift your goal from information to application today. You can get information till the cows come home, man, but you need to become a person. I need to be a person who makes a commitment. I'm going to move from becoming an information hound to being an application diligent person.
You know, I've actually thought about this a lot. Do you know how many messages I'm going to take on myself here personally? I've walked away from. When I was new in Christ, I was better at this. As I got older in Christ, ooh, I got a little bit away from this. But when I was new in Christ, February 11th of 1984, man, I still got cocaine running through my system and Crown Royal, and I was still a mess. I am listening to a guy named Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll was dishing it up. And he'd be dishing it up, and I'd be on my AM radio listening to Chuck Swindoll writing down with a pencil and paper everything that he said. And one day he said, now I want you to act on this. And I just thought, well, shoot, if Chuck says it, I'm doing it. I'm going to act on it. You can never stop acting on the truth. The difference maker some of you wonder, what makes one person's life seem to be kissed by God and another person's life seems like it just sucks? Is it circumstances? No. Are some things going to be exceedingly difficult and brutal? Yes, very difficult. But the difference maker is not the amount of trials a person faces. The difference maker is the truth known and the truth applied to our life. Period. Period. You know what makes spiritually strong people are not people that hear new stuff, but they put shoe leather to it. That's why we're called disciples, not knowledge brokers. Too many small groups today are too filled with people who come in, and the first question they ask is, well, what's that? What would you get out of that word? And that's okay. But the way we should ask it is, what does the word say? How does it apply to me? And then go to, now what am I going to do about it? Oh. So the only reason that some of you are sitting here today and you feel like, I feel like I've got so much growing to do in my life. God's given you all that you need for life and godliness. All you've got to do is step out with him and move. Now, it's a vast array of teachings that God gives us, but I want to give you hope. You get, as we're going to study, as we're doing the first wave of discipleship, we've got about 65 of you. Thank you for all of you that are jumping into this first wave. And by the way, don't be discouraged. If some of you didn't get in our first wave of discipleship that's starting tonight, the second wave's coming, baby, and it's already building out there in the deep water. So we're going to get that going. But here's what you need to know. The key with what we're going to be doing starting tonight is not just learning new stuff. It's applying some stuff for the first time ever. Really applying it. Shift your goal from information to application. You know, one little free note I want to give you on this is I've found that information puffs up application tends to pop pride balloons big time and some of the richest people to be around are those that are in a lifestyle of application because they usually have a mindset that says I got so much I'm still learning today I've told you this before but I feel prompted to say it right now one of the most humbling things I ever had happen was Howard Hendricks was one of the greatest Theologians, practical Bible scholars. He was the chaplain for the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys, for a lot of years. I don't hold that against him at all. 
but he's a great guy, and he became the pastor to a team that my bride and I were working with, um, Family Life Weekend to Remember. Janine and I did for 12 years. We went all around the country speaking at Family Life Weekends to Remember. And we would have weekends. We had one in Green Bay. It was almost like a revival broke out, same in Memphis, and uh, I mean all over, Buffalo, San Diego, you name it. But we saw God do some amazing stuff. And once a year, we would all gather down at St. Pete Beach at a place called Don Cesar that we could never go to on our own, but they popped the nickels, so we went. It was awesome. But Howard Hendricks would be there speaking. And I learned something from that man. Howard Hendricks has taught the word from cover to cover like no one else. This dude, I mean, he, he's an amazing man of God. And then I noticed something. Somebody else would be given a devotional, some guy that's been following Jesus 10 years, and here'd be Howard Hendricks, true story, sitting there in the front row, Bible open, notebook in hand, leaning in with full-on expectation, writing down notes, writing down notes. Howard Hendricks. I got asked to do devos by the leadership of Family Life, and they asked me to come and do them. I was freaked out guys in here that are promise keeper speaker and national guys and I give a devo and here's Howard Hendricks sitting right here from me to Shonda and he's just got his Bible open and his notepad open and he's just writing stuff down and while I'm sharing I'm thinking he's got to be faking it right now <laughs> and afterward he came up to me and he said you know I've read that you know girl I read that a lot of times, but I've never seen that one thing you shared. I'm like, man, my year was made. It was over. It was done. You know why Howard Hendricks died a rich man? He never quit learning, and he never quit applying until the day he died. So I'm giving you three transformational changes. The first one is shift your goal from information to application. The second one is found in one little verse. And this is so simple and so powerful that you're going to do a triple take on it. You should. Because a lot of you are wondering the question, how am I going to deal with sin in my life? And you're going at it all the wrong ways. Yeah, I busted you out. You're blowing it right now. You've got something in your life and you're tackling it all wrong. And I still love you. Look at this. It's in Galatians 5.16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, in weeks to come, I'm going to explain what it means to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, but just let me give you this. I want to give you this first, and then explain why this is so important. First, you know, it's a willful putting forward of your soul before God. Um, just an awareness and a willingness to say, Lord, all throughout this day right now, I just offer myself up to you. Would you lead and direct my life and the affairs of my life? The Holy Spirit so central that Jesus himself is cited in John 14 and John 16 as seeing the importance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm going to get into more of how to be filled with the Holy Spirit in weeks to come because a lot of us have really mystified this, but it's really about a humble submission before the Lord that just says, here, I'm yours, Lord. A lot of us have thought we come to Jesus for salvation with one posture and then we better get up on our feet and move. What we're going to annihilate here for these next few weeks is that that is the absolute opposite. I do this from time to time. I feel led to do it now. This is the way I came to Jesus right here. And you're not fit for the kingdom of God until you come to the end of yourself. Now, I'm not saying you have to be physically on your knees, but your heart has to be on your knees. You have to. But the grave error that we make in the evangelical church today is that we think we got to get up and then we got to go, I better get busy. I owe, I owe, so off to church I go, I better serve, I better do something. No, the way you came to Jesus is the way you walk forward with Jesus on your knees in humble dependence. It's the greatest quick advice I could give you for being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just saying, Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me. A constant awareness, a mindfulness. That word's a great word that Deb Brady gave me about a year and a half, two years ago after a message I was given on the Holy Spirit. It's been co-opted. There's so many mindfulness books out there, but Really, the, the greatest truth is, is that mindfulness of the Holy Spirit can keep you in step with him and in his power. But I don't want to move by the obvious here. Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit. Let's put that passage up again if we could, guys. Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is really, really cool. Let me give you the point that I want to give you here and then explain how this works. If you really want to have a transformational change in your life, get your eyes off your failings and start walking with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mean this. From the bottom of my heart, I mean this. You know what some of us do? We come into a relationship with Christ. We find things in our life that aren't right. We might have a gossiping problem, a lying problem, an addiction problem, you name it, fill in the list. You know what your thing is that you're battling with right now. It could be just this stifling insecurity or shame of things that happened years ago. Here's what I want you to know right now. You're looking at the wrong stuff. What did he say here? But I say walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what he says? When you... Enter into a spirituality that's trying to say, I gotta stop doing this, I gotta stop doing this. You are on defense. God wants to put you on offense. You know what this is like? It's like playing spiritual whack a mole. So imagine this I get saved. My story, pretty radical. Got saved from cocaine, alcohol abuse, carousing, crazy stuff. Hurting unit. I got saved by fully dependent on God. He broke me, brought me to the end of myself. And then when you get up and get going, then you start seeing things in your life and in your own strength, you can focus on those things, attitudinal things, issues in, in marriage, whatever. And let me just say this right now. I hadn't felt, I, it's not my outline, but I'm gonna share it. I love my bride to bits. I, I love my bride to bits. She's an incredible woman, man. I'm so blessed to have my wife Last night I had a headache and I laid in her lap like a little kid, man, and she was rubbing my temples. And I thought, man, I'm in husband heaven here. She's a great woman. 
But for me to be a man that loves my bride as Christ loves the church, I find I can't do it. And here's what happens. If I find myself saying, I got to be kinder to my wife, it's like whack-a-mole. You've seen those games where those moles stick their head up in the amusement center and you whack, you're hitting that. And then up pops some other sin over here and you're whack and then whoop up comes another one you spend your whole spiritual life playing spiritual whack-a-mole don't tell me you don't i know you do so what do we do we gotta get our eyes off the sin and on the spirit that's a fact there's this term that we use in football that's commonly used it's called time of possession You know what they've learned? Teams that generally have the most time of possession, meaning they've got the ball, they generally win games. See, the quicker you can get on offense, the better you have a chance to get a win. Get your eyes off your failings and start walking with God. You say, Carl, I feel like I I need to confess something. God, confess it! In fact, I don't think we confess well enough or move well enough. We kind of sit in no man's land. After we're kind of confronted with something by the Holy Spirit, we're like, yeah, this thing needs to kind of change in our life. We're kind of obtuse about it with God and with others. We never kind of bring it out. You know what we need to do? We need to just come right out and go, pick it. Uh, Somebody shout out a sin for me. Just give me one. Just shout it out. Come on. I don't want to call your sins out. Just shout out any old random sin. Pride? I heard pride. Let me go with pride. So God, that's what you do. You got a pride issue. God, I have a pride issue. You know it. I am a man. I'm coming to you right now, and I'm confessing it to you. I don't want this thing to rule me anymore. It's hurting my ability to relate to people. It's hurting me. It's It's showing me to be a fraud. I confess it to you. I own it. Then shut your mouth. The slate is clean with God. And go walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We don't do either well. We don't confess well enough. Because some of you came from a tradition where you go confess to people that have more sin than you do. I don't need to explain that. But God says there's one mediator between God and man, and we can go to him with our sin, and we can lay it all out there, and he is totally perfect, and guess what? He won't shame us. He'll just bring us in. Now, I got to tell you something that happened yesterday that was amazing. Actually, it was Friday. My bride was listening to Moody Radio. She listens to that crazy station every now and then. She was listening to Moody Radio, and Janet Parshall had someone on. Janet's just killing it lately, by the way. But she had someone on air that was talking about immorality in marriage and how to overcome it. Now I got your attention. And the guy was struggling with, for years, how to help people that are struggling with sexual immorality in marriage. And he stumbled onto something. 
And we're going to start using this in our first wave of discipleship and for years to come. I'm still learning stuff. I wish I'd have had this language before. I've always known, and my bride and I talk about this all the time, accountability groups are just lousy. And let me explain. Accountability groups, especially for men, are usually men that get together once a week, Saturday, around some breakfast that has way too much uh, polyunsaturated fats and all kinds of other stuff and they get there and they eat that stuff and they they're woofing that down and then they share how they failed last week and that they need prayer and then they come back into that accountability group then the next week and there's very marginal if any victory and here's why accountability groups as we know them are designed pretty much to keep score and their teacher shame-based God never had accountability groups. You know what Jesus oversaw? Vulnerability groups. Where people were vulnerable with one another. Jesus himself said, take this cup from me. I can't do it. And I asked our team of prayers this morning, how do we know Jesus said that? It's in the Bible. How did it land in the Bible? They wrote it, and the only reason they wrote it is because somebody heard it come out of his mouth. Wow. See, all of our facilitators and leaders at 180 Chicago are going to be people, and we're going to challenge it, and I'm going to model it as best I can. And I try to be this kind of a man for you from the bottom of my heart where we champion vulnerability over accountability because vulnerable people can encourage vulnerable people and we can make some real headway all right i got a third one of a transformational change that you can make think this now imagine this just shift your goal from information to application that's big if you could change that one get your eyes off your failings and start walking in the power of the holy spirit but the third one comes right out of matthew 18 verse 4 whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What? A lot of people say Jesus is against greatness. You are wrong. Jesus is not against greatness. He just redefines it. As a matter of fact, what do we find in this verse? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He brought a child to him. He showed this child. You know, in some places, the original word is best translated nepios. You ready for this? It means one without words. They were too young to speak. Do you know how powerful this is? A lot of you think to be a child of God, you've got to be eloquent. You've got to have it all lined up. Did you know that sometimes the best thing you can do with your relationship with God is come before God and just say to him, And he totally understands. Just like Janine and I did when Cave and Miro would come running up. And they couldn't get a word out of their mouth. They were nepios. They were without words. And they run up to us and go, blah, blah. We knew what that meant. God does too. This cold, weird religion where God is up there. And he's not... He's to be feared. Yes, it's a holy, reverent fear of the Lord, but he's also our friend. 
So whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's your third point. Turn your affection from ascending to descending, and I promise you, your whole life will change. Get in your heart a desire to go low before the Lord, and I promise you, you're going to get under some spiritual attack. Because there's one thing that Satan and his demonic forces don't want us to discover, and that's the secret, the real secret to transformation. And here's the single most important thing that I've learned about true and sustained life change. People who walk through life in the same way that they were saved, broken, humble, and entirely dependent, they always win. And let me give you two promises any attempt to come alive in Christ in your strength will utterly fail. But if you embrace your weaknesses and join God, you will prevail. That's God's plan. I'm so glad that God allowed me to discover the secret of greatness. My bride and I were doing some marriage counseling here the other day with a couple. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I gave them for second session marriage counseling. You know what I gave them? Janine and I gave them. After our first session, we got all these questions. Second session said, here, go get this on Amazon. Cost you about $7.99. Read it from cover to cover. It's called Humility by Andrew Murray. And I know they were thinking, this is a pre-marriage class here, man. We're reading some dead guy's work about humility. Yeah, and they got it because we got back on the horn with them and they go, man, if you can live this out in marriage, huh? Oh, yeah. I need you to hear me. One of the great secrets of the spiritual life that, and Janan and I have learned this, that you can, you know, I love what she was pouring out her heart to this couple on Zoom she said we did these marriage conferences for years she was iterating what I told you earlier and she said for years we would do these sessions on communication and how to have good sex and all this stuff which is awesome who didn't want to have good sex in marriage can I get an amen there for crying out loud I mean come on what's the matter with you people of course you do but the path to great sex is not what we were taught in the locker room, gentlemen. No way, no how. It's all about humility. You know what my bride and I have learned? We are rocking and rolling in our marriage when both of us humbly respond to one another. That is intimacy. And oh, baby, that'll light things up. Andrew Murray said it. It rocked me then, it rocks me now. Humility is the only soil in which the grace is root. He says thus, the lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Woo! The lack of humility is explanation enough for every defect and failure in your life.
Humility is not a sidebar. When we feel crushed by our sin, underwhelmed by ourselves, and overcome by God's grace, we are positioned for a radical revolution to begin. You might say, well, Carl, Pastor Carl, if you could send me out of here with one thing to do today, what would it be? Okay. I'm going to ask you to put a stake in the ground with this. You want true greatness? Don't settle another day for the best life you can make for yourself. Not another day. I'm going to ask Jose Jr. to get up here. Just you, buddy. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to just bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want to go over this. We're, gonna, we're just going to let you vamp on that beautiful song, man. I just want to go over a few things with your eyes closed here. I believe in this moment right now, you can choose to apply. You can choose. And I, I want you to do something bold. I want you to agree with God on something here today. Big. I want you to agree with God. Not that you're going to do anything, just that you're resolving in your heart, I am no longer going to live this self-led life. I want genuine greatness. Here's all I want you to do. I want you to resolve in your heart and say to God, if you believe it, I am shifting my goal today. God, I'm going to need your help. Pour out your heart. Say, I'm going to shift the goal from information to application. I'm going to do it. Somebody needs this here. Say to God, God, it's going to be hard for me because I feel so much shame, but I'm going to get my eyes off my failings and I'm going to start spirit walking today. Yeah. Someone in this room needs to affirm to God, God, I'm going to turn my affections from ascending to descending. I'm with you on this thing, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that if I knew a shortcut, I'd give it to you. What I gave you today is just me pouring out my heart from the Word of God that it's the only path to travel. It's the only one I know. If you want to stop playing church and you want to really taste abundant life, this is the path. I'm so proud of you. I can see in your eyes that you long for it in a big way. It's a sweet thing. Stand to your feet. I'm caught up in your presence. Sing it straight to him. We're almost ready to wrap it up. Don't leave yet. Just enjoy the Lord. Lead us, Jose Jr.
Let's go, man.